Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. The church east and west. This is one of these wonderful times when the church is breathing with both lungs in its liturgical calendar. The church east and west will be celebrating for the next several days the great feast of the Holy Cross. In the Byzantine church, we call it the exaltation of the cross. It was exalted in an historical event. And we're going to tell you about that by using the reference, a wonderful reference that I've recommended to before, and I highly recommend, I keep recommending it. It's just wonderful. I, I just really love it. It's very handy. It's called the Prologue from Okrid. Prologue from Okrid. Sometimes it's also called the Synaxarian. What it is, it's the every day, the lives of the saints and homilies and meditations, and also some scriptural references from the Old Testament from a book that is based on the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's used in the, both the Orthodox and in the Byzantine Catholic churches. The book has the information about the saint or the event of the day, but also some wonderful homilies and meditations, and also, as I mentioned, references to the Old Testament. And the one that I have, it's a four-volume set and it is printed by Lazarica Press, Lazarica Press out of Birmingham, England, not Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, England in 1986. So Lazarica Press, Birmingham, England, if you want this particular four-volume set. There is a two-volume set. I don't have that publisher yet, but I think that one is called the name of that that series is called the Synaxarian. It goes by Synaxarian. Mine is called the Prologue from Okrid. Either way, it's the books that give an account of the lives of the saints or the event, the feast day of that day. So we're going to look at September 14th, the great feast of the exaltation of the cross or the Holy Cross. And it says this from the Prologue of Okrid. On this day are commemorated two events connected with the precious cross of Christ. The first, the finding of the cross on Golgotha, and the second, the returning of the cross to Jerusalem from Persia, which of course is modern-day Iran. Staying in the Holy Land, the Holy Empress Helena, now 
She was the empress of the Byzantine Empire back in the 4th century. She decided to look for the precious cross of the Lord. See, we owe a lot of our biblical scholarship in the Holy Lands to the Byzantines, actually. Yes, especially people like Empress Helena and Constantine, because they went and searched for these sites, trying to seek the authentic sites in the Holy Lands where everything happened, you know, especially the life of Christ. And when they would find them, they would build a Byzantine church over that spot. So whenever archaeologists and biblical scholars go searching for evidence, they do what's called digs. They, they dig underground because so many things are, are layered underground now from centuries ago. Whenever they find what they think is an authentic site, it's always marked by a Byzantine church. So the Byzantines gave us a wonderful, a wonderful testimony, a wonderful reference point by which to find the exact authentic spots where a lot of these biblical events happen, both Old and New Testament. So, getting back to our Synaxarian, the Empress Helena decided to look for the precious cross of the Lord. An old Jewish person called Judah was the only person who knew the whereabouts of the cross, and under pressure from the Empress, he revealed that the cross was buried under the Temple of Venus that the Emperor Hadrian had built on Golgotha, so it's under a pagan temple. The empress ordered that this idolatrous temple be pulled down, and then, digging deep below it, she found three crosses. While the empress was uncertain about how to recognize which cross was the Lord's, a funeral procession passed by. Then, Patriot Macarius told them to place the crosses one by one on the dead man. When they placed the first and second on him, the dead man remained unchanged. But when they placed the third on him, He was restored to life. By this, they knew that this was the precious and life-giving cross of Christ. After that, they placed it on a sick woman, and she recovered. Then the patriarch raised the cross aloft for all to see, and the people sang with tears, Lord, have mercy. The Empress Helena had a silver casing made and placed the precious cross on it. Now later, King Khosros conquered Jerusalem. He was from Persia, modern-day Iran. He took the people into slavery and carried the Lord's cross off to Persia, where it remained for 14 years. Now, in 628 AD, the Greek emperor Heraclius was victorious over Khosros and brought the cross back to Jerusalem with great ceremony. Entering the city, Heraclius was carrying the cross on his back, but suddenly the aged emperor was unable to take another step. Patriarch Zacharias saw an angel directing the emperor to take off his imperial robes and walk beneath the cross along the way that Christ had walked, barefoot and humiliated as he had been. He passed his vision on to the emperor, who stripped himself of his raiment and in poor clothing and barefoot, took up the cross, carried it to Golgotha, and placed it in the church of the resurrection to the joy and consolation of the whole Christian world. Now, since then, again, we're talking about the fourth century. Since then, the pieces of the true cross have been, of course, sent in many directions around the world. The main direction was in the place of Constantinople, the center of the Byzantine Empire. And also, there is a relic of the true cross on top of the obelisk that is in St. Peter's Square. You know, at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, they have a 
magnificent large obelisk made by the Egyptians. In other words, they were famous for making those long, tall, pointed, solid stone structures that we call obelisks. And the Christians brought those obelisks to Rome. They erected one in the middle of St. Peter's Square, and on top of it is a relic of the true cross. There's a famous story, though, by the way, about raising that obelisk. There's even some old engravings that depict it. They didn't have, of course, cameras back then. But they were, centuries ago, they were, they were raising that, that big obelisk, and it was very, very heavy. And they did it with ropes. And they were pulling it up, you know, with ropes and donkeys and horses and manpower and all that. They were pulling it up, raising it up. Have you ever seen it? It's very large. It would have been very, very weighty. So they're pulling it up, and they got to a certain point where the ropes began to actually get hot and smoke, and they didn't know what to do. So a man from a nearby village who was a knowledgeable man in that regard, I think he was a sailor, he shouted out, water to the ropes, put water to the ropes. So they threw water on the ropes. The ropes cooled, and they also, by nature, shrunk. And as they shrunk up, in the process of their shrinking, it actually gave extra strength to the horses and donkeys and men that were pulling on the ropes. So they pulled on the ropes and they got the obelisk up. And it, the story is that to this day, the palm branches used at the Great Palm Sunday ceremony in Rome come from the village of this man who shouted, water to the ropes. Just an interesting story about that obelisk. But on top of that obelisk is the relic of the true cross. Now, in the Eastern churches, we call this, therefore, the exaltation of the cross. And we do as the pilgrims did when they first saw that true cross being raised up. What we do is in our church, we have the cross embellished in flowers. And the priest takes it, and there is a, what's a table called a tetrapod in the middle of the church in Byzantine churches. And he stands at all four corners of that tetrapod. He moves around it, and he holds the wreath that is decorated around the cross. He holds it up, and then he bends down very slowly and then bends back up. In other words, he bows very, very deeply, holding that cross up, and then comes back up very slowly the whole time while the people are chanting, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. They actually do it a hundred times. On each side of that table, it's an answer to the litany that the priest leads at that moment, and the people respond, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, and we all bow, just as the people did when they saw that first original cross being raised up once it was found by the Empress Helena centuries and centuries ago. And there is a post-festive of this Feast of the Cross. We wear red or dark, deep vestments. In other words, they could be red or black or purple, but it's called dark vestments as a symbol of Christ's death on the cross. But it's not a negative feast day. The celebration of the cross, and we do so twice a year, once during Lent, where we call it the veneration of the cross, we do a similar ceremony. This is the exaltation of the cross. Either way, although we wear red vestments, symbolic of Christ's death on the cross, it is a time in both feast days of exaltation, of triumph. Because what we focus on is not just the suffering, but the triumph of our salvation that was purchased for us when Christ paid the ransom for us by dying on the cross, then descending into hell to break the bonds of the devil and raising humanity with him forever. 
when we come back to talk more about this great feast, East and West, of the Exaltation of the Cross. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you I'm David Carollo, Executive Director of the World Apostle of Fatima USA, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host, and we are preparing the church east and west for our entry, our immersion. We always use that term in the Eastern churches, our immersion into the mystery of the cross. In the West, they call it the Holy Cross, the celebration of the cross. We call it the exaltation of the cross. Either way, it's celebrating the mystery of the cross and celebrating in a triumphal way. And that's part of the relevancy of the cross. You see, what we have to do is whenever we enter into these holy days, these feast days, we do so in a way that makes them very relevant to our times. See, everything in the church, and you would understand this by thinking about the Eucharist, everything in the church, its feast days and its liturgy has a timeless dimension to it. In other words, we enter into that event as though it were happening right now. And that's not just make-believe. It's not pretend. It actually is happening right now. It's happening for all times, once and for all times. And that's the case with the celebration of the Holy Cross. We enter into the mystery of the cross and making it, therefore, relevant for our time. Oftentimes, talk to people when I do pastoral counseling, they come to me for consolation or spiritual direction. I have to tell them, you have to look at the mystery of the cross. And this is especially true today, because let's face it, today, many people, maybe many of you listening, suffer from anxiety. People today are very anxious, especially people of goodwill, but sometimes wonder, where is God? 
Where did he go? Why is he allowing such terrible things to happen? The corruption we see in the highest levels of our nation, of the courts, our educational institutions, all these hallowed and sacred things seem to have taken wrong turns. And we don't know where to turn. We see it even in the church. We're confused by many things, sometimes even confused by Holy Father Pope Francis. He can be a real head scratcher. We're confused by a lot of things. There's a lot of division. And we might be tempted to despair. But this is where we have to look at the cross. And this is why we hold it up. And the ceremony in my church, as I mentioned, where we, the priest holds up the decorated cross and we bow before it, he's holding it up and he does so from four corners, the four sides of this table, meaning he's showing it to the four sides of the world. In other words, the four corners of the earth. He's showing it to the world, holding it up and saying, look, look, this is the answer. This is our banner, our victory, not our despair, not just suffering. And we have to be able to look upon that cross, especially now in our times of disappointment, discouragement, and even despair. Those are the D words, as in devil. Those are all D words, and the devil wants us there. He begins by giving us a sense of disappointment, then we get discouraged, and then we despair. We leave the church or think all is lost. But this is where we have to look at the cross. Make the feast day work for us. We exalt it, look upon it for a reason. Because what we're seeing is this. Remember, the cross is the worst thing. You wonder, what kind of people are we? We decorate a cross, make it out of gold and decorate it with diamonds and make it out of silver and all kinds of things and wear it proudly and reverently around our necks with a gold chain We bow before it. We kiss it. We make it in all kinds of ways, all kinds of materials. We just can't do enough with this cross. What's wrong with us? The cross was an instrument of doom, of shame, of torture, of hate, of suffering, of death. It's the sum total of everything bad. So what kind of people are we that we acknowledge and, and honor it and adorn it? Are we sick? Well, Christ, because he mounted that cross and died upon it, put his precious blood against it, his precious body against that wood of the cross, and died, gave his life up on that cross, because of that, he took onto himself the worst things and turned them into redemption, victory, and God can do that again and again and again. And that is our hope in this day and age, when all seems to be lost or despairing. We look at the cross and say to ourselves, hey, there were worse days. There was a worst moment with the worst thing ever, and that was the cross. And Christ took that worst thing, and he took on the worst thing, meaning death, and he turned it into life. He turned that worst thing into redemption. If he did it then, why would he stop doing it now? Because remember, as I said, think timeless. The miracle of the cross, its mystery, its significance to us is eternal. It is timeless. Christ is still mounting that cross and redeeming that which is bad, and he can do it even in our times. We sometimes ask ourselves, even I do, we all wonder about God sometimes, even the greatest saints did. We ask ourselves, Lord, God, 
You're a good and loving God. Why are you allowing such hate and misery and destruction and suffering on earth? The earth is practically a, a, a sewer. We've turned it into such a place of, of hate. It's unsafe. It's confusing. It's frightening. In the church, out of the church, everywhere, nothing seems to be turning it around. Nothing seems to be able to turn it around. No president of the United States can save us. Knowing nothing, no one can save us. So we ask ourselves and we ask God, why, God, do you allow such things? Our answer, when all human efforts and potentials seem to be failing, our answer has to be the cross. It has to be that if God took on the worst thing, the cross, in the person of Jesus Christ, who was God and man, if he took that on and he made it the best thing, maybe he's doing that right now with what seems to be maybe one of the worst times in history. Let's be honest. There are things going on here that I don't think ever went on in history, at least not in the way that they're going on. There was always bad, yes. There was always sin. There was the decadence of the Roman Empire. There was Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. But I don't think that there were things going on in history in the way that they are going on nowadays. So it has to be that God is executing his plan, as did on the cross. Remember, when people looked at the cross— they thought all was lost. That's why all the apostles, his followers that saw him do miracles and heard him speak and warn them about the cross and resurrection, they peeled away from him. Peter denied him at his most precious moment when he needed support the most. Remember in the Garden of Eden, could you not even stay awake for me for one hour? Christ was all alone the men that should have known better, should have supported him, they abandoned him. All seemed lost, even to the great saints, and Christ was left alone. And yet, he took that on and turned it into victory and redemption. Could he not be doing it again? Could he not be letting the worst thing play itself out? What was worse than one of his own? Judas betraying him while he had the precious body and blood of Jesus on his lips. Remember, he, Judas partook of the Last Supper, the first Last Supper, the mystical supper where Christ first instituted the Eucharist as we know it. He took his wine and bread and said, this is my body, this is my blood. Drink from it, eat of my body. You will have life in you. Judas took that. He had it on his lips when he betrayed Christ. What could be worse than that? And yet, Christ would take that betrayal and make it the beginning of the process of our redemption by being betrayed, suffering, dying, and rising, and taking us up with him. So the cross is at work now, and that has to be our encouragement, has to be our hope. Maybe what God is doing is allowing the evil of our world to fully play itself out. Because in the end, evil always overreaches. And then it caves in. It folds in on itself. Do you remember the Iron Curtain? The Iron Curtain was so powerful, so impenetrable. Remember the communist Iron Curtain? And eventually it fell like a house of cards. 
No one thought it could happen. I didn't think I'd live to see it, but it happened. Evil always overplays its hand. Sometimes that may be the best way to annihilate and defeat evil. Let it defeat itself. It becomes a very thorough defeat. We try, but sometimes it seems like we're just a tomato being thrown against the wall. Nothing's happening. But God will oftentimes allow the evil to play itself out as a way of destroying it completely and allowing something else stronger and better and holier to rise up in the ashes of that defeated evil. This is what we have to at least be open to, that possibility. Certainly it's much better than despairing, leaving the faith, being mad at God, leaving the church. And all of that hope and encouragement can be fortified in us by entering into this mystery of the exaltation of the cross. So embrace this feast day seriously. It's relevant. It is necessary. It is absolutely crucial to us, especially at this time. Go to church, and in every way the church does, celebrate this mystery, this exaltation of the cross. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio is it's training for the troops. It's a interaural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!